If you have a Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 6, please. Jesus left there and he went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. Where does, did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of Jesus, Joseph, Judas, and Simeon? Aren't his sisters with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, only in their own towns, among their relatives and in their own homes are prophets without honor. He couldn't do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few people who were ill and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. I'm going to pause there. Interesting little story. I don't know what you think is going on in my head when I'm preaching. I often wonder what's going on in your head while I'm preaching, but I don't know if ever you wonder the other way around. So this is what, from time to time, I'm thinking. I'm thinking, who's asleep? <laughs> who's, uh, who's alert? I'm doing a number of things. I'm thinking about the, the story itself uh, or the text and how do we make sense of that. I'm wondering from time to time if I get an idea that I've not actually thought about before I've got here. Um, should I tell that story? Have I got time to tell that story or should I not tell that story? I wonder if I can see the notes <laughs> increasingly. But every now and again, um, when I'm preaching, it's almost like there's a moment where it feels like I'm preaching to myself. And it happened last week. So last week, in the sermon last week, if you remember, we were talking about the woman who'd been ill for 12 years and Jairus' daughter. During the sermon, as I was preaching it through, um, we were talking about these two separate incidents. Um, I hadn't particularly planned to say it, though it wasn't massively profound, but all I said was, in the middle of last week's sermon, was most of us are not like the woman at 12 years desperate, most of us actually are probably more like Jairus. People who normally are actually able to control stuff, but then they find themselves in a situation where they're not able to control what's going on. And they, we, in the same way that Jairus needed, need to hear the voice of Jesus who stands next to us, who says, don't be afraid, just trust me. And when I said that, it was really quite odd, because as I was saying that, I suddenly identified myself with the recipient of that, not the giver of that word. Do you know what I mean by that? So suddenly it felt like that was a word to me. One of the things that I've been increasingly stressed out about is about the building and about what we're going to do and where we're going to go, because actually, you know, a blind man on a galloping horse knows we've got an issue, um, but, but solving the issue is actually quite, proving quite difficult. And I get myself worked up. And last week, um, during the week, I, I kept hearing the voice of Jesus 
whispering in my own ear, don't be afraid, Neil, just trust me. It was the line from the sermon that I preached that I then started to hear back to me. Don't be afraid, just trust me. Just believe. Because the reality is that in most of, most of the stuff I'm involved with in life, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm able to be, to the extent that any of us can be, most days, most weeks, most months, I kind of like, I'm in control. You know, I'm, I'm able to make things happen. I can, I, I can know how to respond to things. But then you find that you're in a situation and you can't. And suddenly you feel really disempowered again. And I need to hear every now and again the words of Jesus in my own ear saying, don't be afraid. And for Jairus, I'm not wanting to repeat last week's sermon, but for Jairus, the don't be afraid was, this situation will end as bad as you can possibly imagine. Your daughter's died. And Jesus is whispering in his ear, don't be afraid. Just keep on trusting me. Keep on believing. And it's that fear, isn't it, that grips us from time to time, that this situation is as bad as it can get. And actually, what's going to happen? And I think in some ways, when we start thinking about faith and we start asking ourselves, what is faith? In stories about faith, I think it comes down to almost as simple as that. Will you believe the voice that whispers in your ear, don't be afraid, just trust me? Or are you at the stage where you're going, yeah, but that, but in the real world, <laughs> get real. I tell you all of that, not just out of some sort of confessional, but just to sort of indicate that what's going on here in this story is all part of the piece that we've been talking about over the last two or three weeks, which is about being about faith. And then you get to this piece that we've just read, where Jesus leaves and goes to his hometown, to Nazareth. And in Nazareth, he finds that these people just simply don't trust him. They don't have faith. And interestingly and surprisingly, Jesus can't do anything. Now, if you read slow enough and you read long enough and you read often enough, you may well feel, I think I've heard this story before, but with a different ending. And you definitely have. And I just want to show you where it is before. Um, If you remember, the very first story of Jesus doing a miracle in Mark's gospel is in chapter 1, verse 21, where he goes to Capernaum and he goes to a synagogue and there's a guy in the synagogue who shouts out, screams out, Jesus heals him and everybody's amazed. But it's, it's almost like Mark is wanting you as a reader to be so reminded of that story, he parallels the way he tells a story. Sunday, do you want to just begin to... So he says, in both of them, the story sets up in the same way. After that, he went to Capernaum and to Nazareth. The next part of the story, literally paralleling it, is it was on a Sabbath. The next part of the story is they go, he goes to a synagogue... The next part of the story begins to change a little. No, he teaches in the synagogue, and then they are amazed. Now, at the moment, in chapter 1 and in chapter 6, it's exactly the same parallel 
moments going through. Or, or, this, is, this is beyond coincidental. This is Mark as a writer wanting you to hear something really crucial. Authors don't do this accidentally. They want you to hear what's going on. Because the next thing that happens is in Mark chapter 1, the man screams out and the demons within him scream out and they say, we know who you are. And in the sixth chapter, the response to the teaching is, we know who you are. You are the carpenter. You are Mary's son. You are the brother of um, James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, and your sisters. We know who you are. The next part is then, in Capernaum, the difference was a miracle takes place. Mark tells you in chapter 6 that miracles weren't possible. And then finally, the people are amazed. And in Mark 6, Mark writes, Jesus was amazed. It's the, only, it's the only time in the Gospels where you're told Jesus is amazed. The day Jesus is amazed is the day when he can't do what he's come to do. Now, when you look at those two things together, it becomes apparent that Mark is wanting to actually really begin to emphasize some stuff here. This is more, I mean, this may be of interest, but I think Mark as an author is wanting to do more than just go, oh, well, that's interesting, isn't he? He's actually wanting to pull you in. So where does this account fit into what he's done already? Well, it's all part of the, the, the healings and the miracle stories that we've explored over the last few weeks. It begins with the miracle of the stilling of the storm in chapter 4. And at the end of that episode, when the storm is stilled, Jesus says to his disciples, well, let me ask you, do you know what Jesus says to his disciples? You have little faith. Do you not have faith? And then we move to the demon-possessed man. Now, there's no reference of faith there. The man is so torn apart, so disturbed, so broken, no mention of faith at that point. Because actually Jesus is just releasing. But then the next two stories are the woman who's been ill for 12 years. And do you remember? If you were with us last week, you might remember. But she pushes her way through the crowd to touch his garment because she says, if I can just touch his robes, I will be healed. And Jesus, once he's discovered who this woman is, what does Jesus say to the woman? Yeah, your faith has made you well. Now, this is not full developed Christian faith. This is not high Christology. It's not worked out. This is God incarnate who's amongst us. This is just, this man can make a difference. It's really basic, basic. But your faith has, and Mark uses an interesting word. He uses that word, which could mean two things. Saved you, healed you. It's the same word. He saved you, it's healed you. You're in a different position because actually something has changed. And then finally, the final story is Jairus and his daughter and Jesus who says to Jairus, don't be afraid. Believe me, have faith in me, trust me. The hardest situations 
storms, death, illness, demon possession that breaks people apart, the hardest situations, and Jesus deals with them. And here he goes home to Nazareth, and he can't do any of it. And it leads you to the obvious question, why? Why is Jesus unable to do it? And uh, there's a couple of things I want to say about that. Why? Why didn't they believe him? Well, because, as Jesus will say, this in one sense is a really simple passage. Because in one sense, Jesus tells you why he couldn't do it. Because familiarity had bred contempt. Familiarity had bred contempt. They'd seen Jesus. And, you know, some of you might know how this feels. When you go back... um, even if you go back to your parents from time to time, and some of you, when you go back to your parents, do you ever have that sort of awkward relationship? Not, not bad relationship, but that awkwardness where suddenly you become 15 again. <laughs> right? And they treat you like you're 15 and, 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 and all that sort of um, adolescent angst kind of kicks in again. <laughs> but actually, you're 35. Why? Well, because we knew you. Some of you might have gone back home and people go, oh, we knew you when. They mean it well. But here in the passage, the people specifically are saying, we know you're a local tradesman. And I think there's something just, uh, uh, this is uh, in brackets really, just to re- a, a really strong reminder. When we talk about Jesus being a carpenter, it's like, oh, what a noble thing. No, he's just like a plasterer. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I, and I value plasterers. I've got one in my house right now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Who's just finishing. So I'm, 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 I value tradesmen because I have got no ability at all. But if you were to hear someone say, actually, our local plasterer is the savior of the world, you might want to go, "Mm, not sure. (laughs) Not sure. He drives a white van. Yeah, he drives a white van. He kind of like got mud on his boots and and plaster on his fingernails. Yeah, that's him. That's the savior of the world. Really? And he he does a good skim? (laughs) And that's how it would have sounded. He's just like the carpenter. He's the white van driver. And we know his mum, Mary. And we know, we know rumours of the story, of how it all began. There's some of us old enough here in the village to remember that actually... Mary came home and said she was pregnant and it was an angel and we all went, (laughs) yeah, sure it is. Because that happens all the time, doesn't it? Because first century people weren't stupid. First century people knew how you get pregnant. And we're old enough in the village, they would have said, to remember Joseph. And we admired Joseph because um, he took on this boy as his own. Because when Jesus was growing up, he would say from time to time, I'm doing my father's business, and he didn't mean carpentry. And there was a kind of like, that was difficult. And Joseph brought this boy up as his own. 
And we remember that story. And brothers and sisters were there, younger brothers and sisters, who were all going, it's Jesus. We've already read, by the way, in chapter 3, what his family thought about Jesus. Jesus, you've gone too far. Let's get you home. Chapter 3, verse 20 onwards. We, you've gone too far now. Let's get you home. Familiarity had bred contempt. It's kind of like if, if the king of the kingdom was going to do more, we would expect more. Let's get real. He's not going to change things around here. Why couldn't he? So that's why they didn't believe. And why couldn't he do any miracles? And I think what happens now is it raises the question of what were these miracles about? Well, the first thing is it, it raises questions about the way that Jesus does miracles. He doesn't just roll in like this supernatural force who regardless of what you feel, he's going to overcome you. This is not Darren Brown who just does it to amaze people. This is Jesus who comes in and goes, actually, this is about us. The, the woman who's been ill for 12 years, why? Why does he stop her in the middle of the crowd and say, who's touched me? Because actually, the last thing Jesus wants is, I'm just this man who's got so much power that it just leaks out and you can touch me and I don't need to know you. That brilliant, brilliant line in the previous story where Jesus says, let's hold it for a moment, folks, before we go any further. Let's just stop right here. Someone's touched me. I want to know who it is. I want to know who, who it is. And it's not because someone's stolen something from me. I just need to know who, who you are. Who touched me? Who are you? And then this woman comes, and I get this brilliant picture of this woman who's been isolated and outcast and so disturbed and uh, in distress for so many years, who comes to Jesus, and Mark tells us, and she told him the whole truth or the whole story. Let me tell you my story, Jesus. And that's when Jesus said, your faith's healed me, has healed you. Because I know you. So Jesus is not this overriding power. Essentially, Mark 6 tells us this. The locals block them, block him. And he doesn't force them. He's not a magician. He's not an independent showman. He works with, he responds to. Don't be afraid. Just trust me. And I was left thinking then. What are our faith blockers? Do any of you sort of, <laughs> do any of you feel that when you hear stories of the great things that God has done, it's always been somewhere you've not been? <laughs> it's always been somewhere else. <laughs> Doesn't happen here, doesn't happen with us. Some of us, perhaps in a similar way to the villagers with Jesus, some of us 
have been around it so long that actually we don't get our hopes up anymore. And indeed, when you hear of people who get excited about Jesus or excited about faith or excited about what they see God has done, you've been around so long that you're sort of, it's really tempting to say, yeah, well, that's lovely, but And I don't know about you, but I, I recognize some of those feelings. Because I don't want to be gullible. And I find it hard to be, woo! <laughs> it's just not my personality, really. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm too self-deprecating at times. I don't want to puncture things with a joke. Because it makes it easier to deal with reality. And I, I know that in me. So how can I wrestle? Because at the same time, the last thing I'd want to be would be with the village people in Nazareth. So how do I wrestle with it? Well, this is how I do it. And in a moment or two, I'm going to ask how you do it. But... This is how I do it. I try and listen to the stories of other people that I trust. In the early days of Pentecostalism, when Pentecostalism was getting root in, in Britain, um, they did a brilliant thing. Because they used to do these big meetings with, where people got healed and stuff. And, uh, but when they did their reports, they would put the full name and the address of the person in the report. Which I love that idea. You can go and ask them. We're not afraid. And I actually find, I find it really helpful to, not all the time, but from time to time, get a close to people for whom amazing things have happened, and I trust them. You kind of wonder, what would have happened if the people in Nazareth had gone to Capernaum and said, so, we've heard this thing happen in your synagogue. Can you tell us about it? And the bloke who had been absolutely torn about by an unclean spirit said, it was me. My life's changed. The people in Nazareth would have maybe said, oh, always happens in Capernaum. But maybe the people in Nazareth would have gone, ah, so it is true. How do I fight that? The reality that actually sometimes faith is quite uh, limited. I read the Bible and I read it regularly. I try to immerse myself in that world. And I try to answer this very fundamental question, which is the real world? In other words, is this the real world? So when I'm reading stuff here, I'm asking the question all the time, what if that's real? And therefore, when I'm immersing myself, when I'm trying to read day by day, just reading the stories and trying to get to grips with what's going on. And I've been doing that for 30, 40 years now, and it's kind of like there's still fresh stuff there. And I've got other people, I've got books that I read alongside it to help me, written by people that Julian works for. Because um, <laughs> here's the thing. I know that if I don't read the Bible, I'll not stop praying. 
Now, this is the interesting thing. I'll carry on praying even when I don't read the Bible. And most of my prayers start, oh, God, help. But that'll be my prayer life. But here's the difficulty. If I'm not in this world, I'll start making a God of my own image, and then I'll get disappointed. I need to read this to understand who am I praying to? Who, what am I asking? What's okay to ask for? What might God want to say to me? The problem is, if you're not reading this, then you'll still carry on talking to God, but you just might find it very difficult to hear from him. I find that helps. I find it helps my faith when I begin to imagine what could happen. On the Saturday of the Easter weekend, we did that thing in the park with the friends of Lighthouse Park, and it was brilliant. We did a, um, an Easter egg um, trail that was Bible-based. Loads, and, and, and there was brilliant, loads of brilliant stuff happening. But in the middle of it, and I, I, I was just watching really a lot of it happening. In the middle of it, it became really apparent to me how many young families live in our area. I mean, I know it was, it was an event for families, so they, it's like self-selecting. But so many people with young families living in our area. And I started to get this sort of like thing in my, I don't know, deep down in me, my spirit, whatever. They started to say, God, could you give us 10% of these people? And not those that are doing chaos over there. Could we not have those? But <laughs> We'll tell those later. Um, but could, and I did seriously start to pray, God, could you give us 10% of this population? of the families in our area. God, could you do something for the 10%? And suddenly there's something in me that started to say, okay. So in other words, how do I start to deal with this faith thing? My eyes become open to what's around me. God, could you do this? Could you do this? Would you do this? And would you include us in it? God, would please do it. And may they all come to the all-age service at 10.30. (laughs) Desperately don't want to resign. Don't resign. (laughs) Other things that have helped me. Other things that have helped me. Am I willing to be amazed? Am I willing to be amazed? Am I willing to look closely? Am I willing to see? Am I willing to let go? Am I willing to pray? Am I willing to ask? Am I willing to trust in the small things? And lastly... Can I remember the past for two reasons? Because the present is different than the past, but the past actually has stories that the present needs. Yesterday afternoon when I came and watched Ian with his, um, his band of budding musicians, um, there was a moment when I got quite emotional <laughs> Because they were awful. No, no, that's, that's not true. <laughs> I got quite emotional. I got quite emotional. I started to sort of fill up, and I said, Max was with me, and I said to Max, I said, these are the good days. Because I remember the past. When me and Max came to this church, and some of you were part of that church at that time, your worship was being led by Liz and Joe. Joe on the violin, and Joe was 16, and Liz was 19 playing a cello, and the cello was the lead instrument. And then and, and, and Maggie played the piano, which was like, 
To be honest, that's why they accepted me as a pastor, because <laughs> my wife plays the piano. Um, and I remember those days. And now we've got 12 people practicing who just want to improve alongside the, the loads of people. Percentage-wise, it's, it's incredible. I remember the past, and the past says this to me. God has done some stuff. I've got to keep remembering where we've come from. And the second thing is that I need to remember the past for is this, because in the past, God did some stuff that I need to remind myself because every time I'm facing the difficulties going forward, it can feel like we've never been here before. But actually, between us, the past says you have been here before, and God did do it. God did do it. And the people in Nazareth went, <coughs> can't believe it. And it's really easy for those who've been around Jesus for a long time to actually, ironically, go, no, things will probably be the same as they always are. But actually faith stirs when we start to say, it can be different in our families, in our workplace, in our church. We've not got loads of time, but just very quickly, what are you thinking? What's going on? Susie. Yeah. Since you said this, my heart's going for like 10 million beats a second. Uh, we were away last week and um, we were talking to some friends and we went to um, their church together. The whole sermon was about 10% being the tipping point. And actually, you might be really right with praying for 10% of those people from the park because um, there's some scientific evidence that says once 10% of the population is committed to an idea, it's inevitable that it will eventually become the prevailing opinion of the entire group. Mm. And actually, if we had 10% of the families in Salford, then maybe that would change the whole opinion mm. of this area of Salford and maybe actually more people would come in. So. What else are you thinking? Both of these scenarios that we've got up, um, in the one, they knew who Jesus was in the spiritual, whereas in the Mark 6 one, they only knew who he was in the human, and then their responses were according to, to that yeah. level of knowing him. Yeah. You can know about someone, can't you? Or you can know. Somebody else, what are you thinking? Uh, Jesus still healed. Yeah, there is a sort of like a throwaway line, isn't it? Except for a few people who he healed, which is kind of like, you know, well, that'll do. <laughs> you know, for most of us, that would do. But for Jesus and for Mark, that's clearly mm, substandard. It's kind of, it is an interesting throwaway line. It is kind of interesting. Last, last chance. I don't want to extend this over the, overly, but just don't want to either... I'm just thinking of what you said about familiarity um, breeding contempt. And when we have gotten so used to 
knowing God, we are no longer amazed at the yeah. daily miracles that yeah. he works in our lives. Yeah, thank you. And then finally, uh, yeah, finally, Julian, I, I think. I think one of the things that um, blocks my faith is sometimes thinking, oh, things don't happen around here. Mm. And I, I get the privilege of going to various places. And I was in St. Helens, visiting the bookshop at St. Helens. It's a rough area. And I was thinking, what happens around here? Mm. And there was a guy... I, I couldn't see the person who was the buyer because she was busy with the person. And he, he said, can I tell you my story? And he was a policeman. And he said, I've just been saved. Mm. But by somebody who I used to know as a criminal. And he's been saved. And he, I got to know him. And now I've become a Christian. And he was just telling this lady her, his story, you know, and I could hear it all. And it was just brilliant thinking, yeah, the kingdom of God grows one life, changed life at a time. Brilliant. Brilliant story. Brilliant story. We're going to, uh, we're going to move through the service. This is what I want to suggest, um, how we handle this next phase. We'll be led by the folks at the front. And we'll take communion together. And if there's one place where familiarity can breed contempt, it's actually in the weekly taking of communion. But this is the body of Jesus broken for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. You're included into the covenant people of God that you might be used by him as part of the change that happens around here. And as you come and as you take again... May you know the freshness. But then, after we've taken communion, and, um, and maybe we can take communion a little, you know, we can do that earlier. Because what I'm going to suggest is we have what I think is technically called a soft ending. All right. What this means is that if you need to leave or you want to go into the back, and those of you serving, we'd love it if you would so that you can be prepared for us. But actually, we'll just allow the service then just to, to reach its own end. Essentially, when all of you have gone. Um, but uh, rather than sort of trying to cram everything into 10 minutes right now, we'll just have a soft ending. And so when you're ready, as you're going through, then go through to the back. Maybe you've got children, and that would be the most helpful thing to do. But for others, it might be, no, I just want to linger a little longer. Oh, and so we're not quite as constrained by time in that sense there because we're allowing people to leave and to do what they need to do next. But we're also saying, for some of us, we might just want to stay a little longer. And so we'll have that sort of soft ending, if you will. Which means we're going to do communion together. It also means we're going to take a tithe and offering, because we don't want you to go before that goes, because that would be a nightmare. But let's pray together. God, you know our hearts, and you know how sometimes our hearts are all, <laughs> all for you. And you know sometimes our hearts are divided, and we protect ourselves against disappointment by not hoping. We protect ourselves against disappointment 
by not extending our own vision. Lord, forgive us. Father God, I pray that you would begin to unlock things in our own hearts and lives. I pray for those of us for whom things have been kind of like dormant for a while. Lord, will you bring them back to life again? And I pray, Lord, for people who have longed to see things. Lord, may their faith continue in you. May they hear the voice. Don't be afraid. Just trust me. Lord, may our faith be stirred again. The faith in the one who does immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. The one who goes ahead of us. The one who makes things possible. The one who changes people's lives. That story of the policeman and the guy who'd had that criminal past. And how you saved them both. Lord, do it again, we pray. Lord, for the families in our area. Lord, dare we believe to see a move of God amongst all of these families. Lord, stir it up in us. And help us to know how to play our part in that. Holy Spirit, come and rest upon your people, we pray. In the name of Jesus, stir us up.